Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Uh, thank good morning, everyone. My name is Jay. Uh, I am the director of worship here at City Church. We're so glad you've joined us this morning. And if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, I'm going to begin our service with a passage from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 21. This is our call to worship. Would you stand with us? Listen to these words. This is, uh, this is a prayer that Paul is, is speaking over the church of Ephesus. But listen to these words for us today. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Let's pray. O oh, great God, would these words from Paul to the Ephesians be our prayer for each other as we begin our time together this morning? God, would you please make us rooted and grounded in your love that we would more clearly understand truly how much you love us, your children? And as we see your love more clearly, may we sing songs of praise to you, that we would lift our hearts, that you would lift our hearts, rather, as we lift our voices. God, would you please meet us here this morning in a special way that we would be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. Would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit in us? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.
be seated. Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. It is absolutely delightful to be with you. Um, Praise God for this opportunity, not only to celebrate corporately right now and singing and hearing God's word preached, but we actually have a baptism celebration after the service. If you didn't know about it, I hope that you will still come. Um, It's open to everybody. We have someone uh, that is publicly professing their faith in Jesus Christ, and we get to see that uh, visually represented and um, submersion and uh, raising up into new life in Christ. And so I hope that you will come. You should have an address on your bulletin. This is not a bulletin. You should have a bulletin. (laughs) And on that bulletin, you should have an address. Uh, You should have all the information that you need. It will start uh, approximately 1 o'clock, so we'll give you enough space to um, get over there and hopefully grab some lunch. So it's coming. We would love to get to know you. One of the best ways that we can facilitate that is by having you fill out our connection card. You can always fill out a physical card and put it in the seat pocket in front of you. We also have a virtual version of that connection card, citychurchgmv.com slash connection. Citychurchgmv.com slash connection. You can see a physical card, or you can use a virtual card, fill it out. You can always make that anonymous. So if you want us to pray for you and you're not comfortable putting your name on it, just fill something out. Don't put your name on it. We really want to be in prayer for you as a staff during the week. A few announcements. I already mentioned uh, the baptism that's going on today, uh, 1 o'clock after the second service, uh, just a couple miles up the road. We are also, I'm sorry that these are kind of in competition with each other, but it's good stuff. We're also having um, an outreach this afternoon to the homeless community. We have a team of people that goes out uh, about once a month, and we spend a couple hours in downtown getting to know people in our community that don't have homes. So that's also happening today. If you're not a part of that team, but you're intrigued, say, I want to I be a part of building these relationships, you can show up at 1240 uh, in our community room, and there will be people from that team there to train you. So you can come at 1240, you'll get training, you can go out even today. So baptism, 1 o'clock, and we also have the homeless outreach going on at 1 o'clock. Two outstanding opportunities as far as um, your afternoon. I also want to mention um, a few other things. I need to get my my bearings here to make sure I do this correctly. We added another membership class. So we had a membership class uh, this past Sunday. Uh, We're doing another one tomorrow from 6 to 9 o'clock in this sanctuary. Well, actually, you know what? It's not going to be here. It's going to be in the community room behind the lobby. So 6 to 9 o'clock tomorrow, another opportunity uh, to go through our membership class to find out more about who we are, why we're in downtown. And again, membership, we said this last week, membership is not about getting a card and some sort of special status. It's about um, saying, hey, I want to raise my hand. I'm part of this church family. I want to be committed. I want to hold other people accountable. I want those people to hold me accountable as to saying, yes, I'm a part of this family. So we would encourage you to participate. It helps if you RSVP uh, by putting something like on your connection card today. You can also completely forget to do that and show up, and we will accommodate you tomorrow from 6 to 9 o'clock. So I want to let you know about that. Also, next Sunday at 4 o'clock is the best time of the year here at City Church. We're having our, our terrific turkey cook-off. 4 o'clock, and this year, typically we would have it downtown at a park, usually Depot Park, but uh, the city is uh, not currently accommodating more than groups of like 25 or so people. Uh, so we are going to be having it at what we would kind of call our sister church, one of the churches that helped us uh, get started nine years ago, which is Creekside Community Church, just a few miles north of here. So if you show up at 4 o'clock next Sunday at Creekside Community Church, you're in for a great time. Four, usually to 6.30, 7 o'clock, 
it'll be very clear where we are stationed. They have like this outdoor patio area, which will be our kind of our home base for the, the, the evening. And just remember that this is a competitive sort of thing. So, so you're, you're bringing a turkey, you're bringing a side, you're bringing a dessert, and you're competing against other people. So just know that there will be judging, but actually we're really just there to spend time with each other and get to know each other better. Uh, so that's next Sunday at 4 o'clock. Uh, even if you don't bring food, we still want you to come. There will be plenty, but just plan out 4 to 6.30 or so next Sunday at Creekside, and we'll say more about this next week as well. All right. Every month at City Church, we, we launch kind of a new rhythm. Um, we are a church that's very serious about prayer, and part of that means that uh, once a month we have an extended time of prayer that we call a pastoral prayer, and different people from our church family will be leading this time. It's good sometimes to spend a few minutes in prayer, um, even on a Sunday morning. And so we have the, the privilege this morning of hearing from Nico Mora. Nico is uh, one of our pastoral interns right now um, since this summer. Yeah, you can clap for him. That's worth it. And Nico is going to take it away and lead us in this time of pastoral prayer. Let's pray. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask my Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. O oh Lord, our God, we lift up your name. You deserve all the attention, glory, honor, and praise. You are creator and have gifted us with the breath of life. Amazing God, how endless is your wisdom and how great are your works. As we sing to you, we lift up our voices for all of your wondrous deeds. You are King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Comforter, Healer, and Provider. O Lord, our Lord, O God of mercy and grace, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I confess to you for the ways we have failed to abide in you, and because of this, I confess to you the ways we have failed to bear fruit. I ask that you remove hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh, so we may look to your greatness rather than ourselves. Would you remove the idols we have created in place of you? Lord, I confess the ways we have worshipped what you have created rather than you, our creator. Would you forgive us for looking towards distractions for comfort rather than you? Would you forgive us for striving for the things that we think are best rather than trusting in your promises and your provision? Only by abiding in you will we understand our true identity and know your plans for us. 
Thank you, Father, for your open arms waiting to receive our broken and contrite hearts. Would we as a church look to you for rest rather than ourselves? Thank you for your son and his work of sacrifice. And thank you for the Holy Spirit and his intercession for our groaning souls. Would you open our hearts to receive the gospel each day and recognize our need for you? I thank you for the renewed identity you have given each of us. You have declared us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for your own possession. Out of this will we proclaim the excellencies you have of you who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you for the blessings that you have given to us. I'm thankful for the way you have used this building over the last years for your glory. Thank you for the opportunity for the growth of this church. We thank you for the growth and expansions, but more so for the lives that will be touched by the proclamation of your word. Would each soul that walks through our doors be moved by your spirit? As we abide in you, would your love overflow in us to touch the hearts of those who don't know you? Thank you for the elders for their thoughtful consideration and leadership for our church. Thank you for the shepherding and oversight they provide. I ask that we as a church would serve and love them in return. Thank you for our deacons as they serve in the church and meet the needs of our own congregation. Will we not forget to meet their needs as well? We thank you for our staff and ministry leaders. In this time of exhaustion, would you raise them up and give them strength? I thank you for the work of our children's ministry and the building up of these young souls. As a church, would we model what it means to receive your grace and display it to them? Thank you to our city. What a blessing it is to live surrounded by your creation and the culture around us. Thank you for the teachers within our schools educating our children. Thank you for the work of our youth ministry and the lives of Nicola, Gabe, Bade, JJ, Ricardo, and Caleb, and the other youth within our church as they continue to grow in their understanding of you. I ask that you would give them boldness and encouragement as they walk within their schools. Thank you to our first responders who meet our crisis needs. Thank you to our city officials as they make decisions. Would you provide clarity, wisdom, discernment, and direction? I ask that you would meet the needs of the marginalized in our community. Would you provide shelter and homes to our friends Larry, Peggy, Mr. Willie, Bruce, and the many others who have been met and yet to meet? Would you use City Church as a place of healing, restoration, friendship, and joy to those in our community? As you would work, you would help us to love our neighbors well and seek intentionality with those in our workplace. Lord, I ask that you would help us to love from a pure heart. Would we respond to your commandments in obedience? Through abiding in your living word, I ask you would help us to love with sincere and brotherly love. O Lord, our Lord, thank you for your grace that has appeared of offering salvation to all those who believe. Help us as we train ourselves to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives today. Lord, you are our blessed hope. We wait for your son's return and the appearing of his glory, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a, pe a people for his own possession. Out of this transformation, we be zealous for good works. Our home is not here, but rather a heavenly dwelling place that is being prepared for us. As we would look to this hope, for we live by faith, not by sight in this current age. So we make it our goal to please you in all that we do. Ask that our church continue to meet needs, meet together as we spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And most of all, I ask that you would help us to abide in you fully. Only out of this can we love you deeply and love those around us. Would our joy be in you and our joy be made full. Amen. Thank you, Nico, and I hope that that time of prayer uh, spurs you on to be ever more prayerful individually as well, outside of 
these gatherings. Our scripture passage this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, certainly encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. Our blue Bibles in the baskets underneath the chairs that are in front of you, you are very welcome to pull those out as well and follow along with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And read this passage for us, and as the title of this sermon suggests that you will see in a few moments, we're going to try to figure out this morning, is camping worth it? Is it worth it? Is camping actually worth it? We're going to answer that question once and for all. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray once more. Lord, would you empower us by your spirit to hear this text and um, give us the right understanding of it. And of course, as always, we pray for transformation. We, we do not desire to sit underneath your word without being changed. And so would you bring change in abundance? We love you so much, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is probably the most I've thought about tents since I used to wear a t-shirt in high school that said, Camping is intense. It's a really good example of a joke that's its a teensy bit funny, but not quite as funny as I thought it was now that I look back on it. So this passage is not really about tents in that sense. It's a passage about our bodies, and it's ultimately a passage about confidence, too. In case you're skeptical about the urgency of thinking biblically about our bodies, I'd make the case that in our cultural moment, we're talking more about our bodies than just about anything else. Some of the conversation is about affirmation. How can we combat feelings of shame and disappointment about our bodies and promote self-compassion? See, for example, the, the body positivity movement. Some of the conversation is about augmentation. How can we challenge or expand what we understand to be the limits of our bodies, see the, the wellness movement, see, for example, various technological and biomedical initiatives meant to enhance our bodies. Some of the com conversation is about identification. What frames what? Do we define our bodies, or do our bodies define us? See, for example, the cultural heat about transgenderism. Some of the conversation is about 
lamentation. Why do our bodies fail us? Is death inevitable? Or can we delay it or even overcome it? Does death make our earthly lives rather meaningless? You see, for example, the sadness and the cultural heat these past couple of years about COVID-19. There's a lot of discussion about our bodies, which gives us a lot to think about. And of course, there's plenty of polarization. It wouldn't be 2021 without the polarization. So we could all use a word from the Lord about our bodies, which in the case of the 2 Corinthians chapter 5 passage is accompanied by a fascinating connection between our bodies and confidence. We're not going to answer all of the pressing questions of the hour, but by the grace of God, we'll at least make some headway. So two exhortations this morning as we navigate our time together. Number one, be encouraged. Your longings aren't crazy. And then number two, be confident. We're present for a purpose. Number one, be encouraged. Your longings are not crazy. And number two, be confident. We are present for a purpose. Let's start with that first exhortation. Be encouraged, church. Your longings are not crazy. Some of you, I suppose, feel rather excellent about your bodies. What Paul refers to in verse one is our earthly tense. You are the people who feel like you're on the precipice of immortality. You're the people at Gainesville Health and Fitness who look in the mirror while doing bicep curls to check your form. And then, of course, you follow that up with that gaze, that, that satisfactory nod. We see you. We know about you. And good for you. However, the rest of us are more in touch with our limitations. More often than not, we feel weak, not strong. We feel physically or mentally inadequate. We have very real problems with our bodies, illnesses, injuries, fatigue, etc. All of which can contribute to very persistent experiences of dissatisfaction and frustration and just unhappiness, joylessness. And then what? If we're being honest, longings, intense longings for rest, longings for healing, longings to have different bodies or, or better bodies. And the reason I say if we're being honest is this, longings can feel unspiritual. They can feel like complaints. They can feel like divine distrust, and for Christians, those feelings can give way on occasion to self-scolding. You know, something like, if, if I really trusted God, I'd, I'd simply accept my bodily fate and be thankful for it. In fact, I'd, I'd like it if I was a true Christian. But the first four verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 nuance that narrative if not challenge it altogether. Look at verse 1. Where we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. As we mentioned at the beginning of this series, Corinth was a metropolitan 
pluralistic city, influenced by all sorts of religious beliefs and philosophies, including Gentile paganism. And some of those streams were rather dismissive about the importance of physical things, such as our bodies, a kind of physical and spiritual dualism that is completely out of step with God's good purposes in creating a physical world, and therefore contrary to everything we find in Scripture. Thus, the Apostle Paul's zeal to ensure that the Corinthians didn't assimilate those streams into their own thinking, including their thinking about the afterlife. Corinthians, as you, as you already know, even if we die, even if our earthly tents are literally pulled down and destroyed, we will not be facing a disembodied future. Instead, we know for sure that we have buildings from God, eternal houses in the heavens. What are those buildings and houses? Physical resurrection bodies. And right away, we can tell that these physical resurrection bodies are going to be sweet. Because compared to our earthly tents, this is, this is language that Paul may have used because tents were very common in that day, and Paul himself was a, a tent maker. Compared to tents, our resurrection bodies are going to be like eternal buildings. They're going to be, going to be fortresses, comparatively. And the Corinthians already knew this because Paul addressed it in the previous letter, specifically the letter we call 1 Corinthians. And in the 15th chapter of that letter, Paul wrote this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Would their resurrection bodies be different than their earthly perishable bodies? Yes. Again, we're talking about buildings instead of tents. But they would still be real physical bodies clothed in immortality. Whereas Paul put it, and yet... Another one of his letters, this time Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, get this, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So church, that's what's, that's what's coming so in the meantime, guess what? Verses 2 and 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. If you're sitting here this morning, longing and aching for a different body, a better body, you're not crazy, and your lungs are not unspiritual. 
In fact, those longings are informative. We have an appetite for change in part because change is coming, and that transformation will be wonderful beyond our imagination. So our longings are legitimate, and our longings are informative. But here's the kicker. Here's what makes these longings truly Christian longings. We long with hope. We long with hope. Apart, apart from Jesus' own bodily resurrection, the first fruits of the bodily resurrection we will one day enjoy, our longings would be cynical and desperate and ultimately foolish. Without Jesus' own bodily resurrection, our longings would be desperate. They would be completely foolish. We'd be, we'd be sitting at a golden corral longing for a chef to bring filet mignon out to the buffet. It wouldn't be coming. We'd be sitting there for a very long time. But, but Jesus has been raised, and so we will likewise be raised when Jesus returns. And so we have hope. Here's what complaining is compared to this kind of longing. Complaining is centering what's missing without keeping the big picture in view, without the hope. That's what complaining is. Christian longing means centering the hope in such a way that it makes room for genuine pain and groaning in concert with genuine gratitude and joy. The church long and, and groan with honesty before the Lord about your earthly tents, knowing that, Romans chapter 8, all of creation is groaning right along with you. So, so bear your pain, bear your frustration. God's got room for it, always. He's got room for it in his Google calendar for you to come to him and say, I've got problems. All is not well. Tell your, tell your friends, hey, I, I'm not doing so well right now. This is really hard. None of that is unspiritual. But do all of this with the very specific kind of hope that our resurrection bodies are coming, and one day they will, verse 4, swallow up our mortal bodies. A hope that God, get this, guarantees by sending the Holy Spirit to live within us, verse 5, which, by the way, is a, is a source of double encouragement for those who are experiencing the limitations of our earthly tents. On one hand, the Spirit's presence tells us, you're not home yet, because I'm living within you, it tells you that you're not home yet, so until you have your perfect resurrection bodies, I'm going to guide you and empower you along the way. I'm going to provide supernatural assistance. On the other hand, the Spirit's presence within us is a supernatural guarantee that eventually we will come home and put on our resurrection bodies. No doubt about it. Double encouragement. I've always thought that one of the most gut-wrenching circumstances of earthly tent living is childhood illness and childhood injury, especially illnesses and injuries 
that require significant medical intervention and even surgery. In the days leading up to such a surgery, imagine a, a father sitting next to his five-year-old child's hospital bed saying, sweetheart, in just a few days, you're going to have an operation, and then you're going to feel a lot better, I promise. But until then, I'm sitting right here with you every minute of every day. I'll make sure you have everything that you need. I will advocate on your behalf before these doctors that are walking in and out of your room to make sure you're getting the very best care. That's what the Spirit's presence is like in the lives of God's spiritual children. One day you're going to feel a lot better, but until then, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. What does this hopeful longing look like in practice? How do you know it when you see it? So in line with what I alluded to a few minutes ago, I'll start by mentioning that Paul was speaking to, apparently, a very specific concern that we don't wrestle with as much today, at least probably. He was helping the Corinthians understand that even if they died before Jesus' return, before his second coming, they would not miss out on their resurrection bodies, and therefore there was no need to fear some kind of disembodied nakedness, verse 3, or, or eternal state of being unclothed, as you see in verse 4. And he actually appears to indicate that believers should expect an intermediate disembodied state between their death and the general resurrection that accompanies Christ's return. However, that conversation is somewhat beyond the scope of what we're talking about this morning. And the main thing that he was trying to communicate is that all believers, living or dead, will eventually get their resurrection bodies when Jesus returns. So if eternal disembodiment was your primary spiritual concern when you walked in the door this morning, surely you will be very blessed in practical ways by what Paul is saying. However, from what I've seen pastorally, the pressing issue for most of us in 2021 is this. How do I navigate pain and suffering and disappointment now? Especially in a cultural moment that doesn't see much meaning or value in suffering and frankly tends to do everything possible to get rid of it or overcome it. Three things. First one I already mentioned a minute ago, but I'll say it again. Number one, pursue honest lamentation before the Lord, keeping in mind that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to inhabit an earthly temple. Exactly. So God not only wants you to bring your difficulties to him, he gets it. And he can minister to us very specifically, in large part, via the ministry of the Spirit who lives in us, as we just talked about. He wants us to come, he gets us, and then he can minister to us in very, very particular ways. Number two, church, resist. Resist this this fatalistic despair. In the past five or ten years, dramatic ultimatums about the status of our earthly bodies have become increasingly common. I mean, statements like, 
unless this or that thing changes about my body, I just don't know how I can go on. I don't know how I can live with this. And in the context of such statements, compassion often means putting everything on the table for the sake of eliminating the disappointment or, or the suffering, even if there are ethical concerns because the ends, you know, getting rid of the pain, justify the means. But Christian compassion, in the face of that very real pain, magnifies the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. And it, it puts far less weight onto the necessity of circumstantial changes. We're anything but dismissive about real pain and disappointment, and, you know, please get that, get the hernia surgery if you need it. But because we have the Spirit, we can remind one another that even the most intense affliction will not inevitably take us out. God's power is that great. It's that sufficient. And then number three. Number three. How do we navigate pain and suffering and disappointment now? Number three. Turns out that we don't have to fear death. Listen, if you fear death, very understandable. It's alarming. It's disconcerting. As followers of Jesus, we actually don't have to fear it. We get to not fear it. Children of God know that although physical death pulls down our earthly tents, it raises up a beautiful, eternal building. It catalyzes the swallowing up of our mortal bodies so that we can enjoy resurrection bodies. Death ironically opens the door for us to become more alive than ever before. And this is why the Apostle Paul, you can read about this in Philippians, was, was seriously longing to be with the Lord immediately. That's how in touch he was with the glories of what he would receive with Jesus when he got his resurrection body. And so even in the face of death itself, we can rest in the Lord. We don't have to be afraid. So church, be encouraged. Your, your longings are not crazy. And there's so much hope. There's so much hope. Here's where things get a bit wild, though. That hope, that future-oriented hope, it comes back around, and it gives us so much meaning in the now. The same hope that points us forward makes the now far more compelling. And that brings us to our second exhortation, be confident or present for a purpose. So be encouraged, your longings are not crazy, so long with hope, but, but now be confident you are present for a purpose. Even though our futures are, are glorious, there is nothing throwaway about the now. In fact, the nature of our future accentuates the meaningfulness and the purposefulness of the now, and we'll see that in just a moment. Look at verses 6 through 9. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, 
we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Good courage there in verse 6 and 8 is best understood, I would say best translated actually, as, as being confident. It's a reference mainly to confidence. A confidence that, that comes not from ourselves, but from the hope we've just been talking about, as well as the work of the Spirit in guaranteeing that, help, that hope. Secular self-confidence comes from within, and then you express it or you, you perform it. Biblical confidence comes from God, who deposits such confidence in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And i got to say, option B is a touch more compelling than option A, since the God of the universe seems better equipped to give me confidence than I am to give it to myself. Here's how future-oriented hope gives us confidence and honestly purpose now. First, the glory of what's coming helps us make sense of what we're missing right now. Helps us make sense of it. Of course, things are going to seem off today and tomorrow and the next day. While we're in our earthly bodies, see verse 6 and verse 8, we're away from the Lord. We're not at home with the Lord. So while there's, there's plenty about the now that's disappointing and painful, it's not, it's not surprising either. And that gives us confidence to keep going. To keep moving. It's disappointing, but it's not surprising. Second, the embodied nature, the embodied nature of our future affirms the goodness and the value of our embodied presence now. If our eternal presence with God in the new heaven and the new earth amounted to this disembodied spirit world where we'd all have a lot in common with the genie from Aladdin, that would cast some doubt on the goodness and the value of the bodies we have now. The future would become this, this escape from the physical. One day we're going to get out of this mess, this, this physical junk. But the future is, is not an escape, per se. It's a transformation. And our perfect resurrection bodies will be physical, just like our bodies are physical now, and we'll still live together in a physical place, a physical new city, Jerusalem. So despite their weaknesses and, and their limitations, the bodies that we have right now are valuable and significant in God's eyes, and we can therefore do valuable and significant things with those bodies. The goodness of what's to come in the future reflects the goodness of what's now, and that gives us so much confidence. Yes, of course we would rather be away from the body as in our earthly tents and at home with the Lord, verse 8. But, verse 9, in the meantime, we make it our aim to please the Lord which reinforces the idea that we can please the Lord here on this earth despite all of our issues. 
I want to let you in on a, on a pastoral secret. Seriously. In case you think this preaching stuff we do is, is impressive or something. Sometimes God just does you a solid and hands you an illustration on a platter. This past week I was thinking to myself, how on earth am I going to illustrate this matter of the goodness of what's to come reflecting the goodness of the now. How are we even going to do that? I was just thinking about not giving you an illustration and just moving on and hoping for the best. And then on Monday, as I was walking from the parking garage to this building, I noticed that the city of Gainesville was literally taking down the temporary white tents on lot 10 that had been with us the past couple of pandemic years for outdoor gatherings and dining. Why are they taking those tents down? Great question, because the city is selling the lot to a developer who is about to build a permanent eight-story building that will include a grocery store office space and condoms. So we have tents literally getting pulled down to make way for an eternal building, sort of. And then I, I thought to myself, that's what I thought to myself. Though these tents were temporary, and now they're being pulled down for something more glorious and permanent, these tents were an overwhelming source of good for our church and for our city while they lasted. Think about it. They weren't much to look at. At various points the past couple of years, people... Let's just say they yacked on the fake grass carpet that was installed over the asphalt to uh, improve the ambiance, and the stain from those yaks became a part of the experience. But still, I mean, probably thousands of people gathered there and ate there these past couple of years. Our church probably had 60 to 70 prayer gatherings there, including a week of fasting and prayer back in August. Our church staff use those tents as an extension, basically, of our, as our office space. Of course, the, the, the building will be even better, although it kind of depends on who you ask in this community. But the goodness of what's to come actually reflects the goodness of what came before. I told you that God came through here. I mean... I, I checked the pastor's rule book and saw that, yes, I am legally obligated to use circumstances like this as sermon illustrations, if the connection is as obvious. And I hope that you're so encouraged, especially those of you who, who are quite ready to be done with your earthly tents. I hope you in particular are encouraged. If, if God can take some mildewy, yak-stained tents in blessed downtown for two years, he can do far greater things through you, no matter your bodily estate. Your embodied life has meaning and it has value. So there's a sense in which we're, we're camping in our earthly tents, but it's so worth it. I don't know if camping camping is worth it. Life is hard enough already. But this kind of camping is worth it. And our 
embodied existence has meaning and value just as it is. We don't have to, we don't have to frantically pursue a wellness regimen or, or biomedical augmentation in order to actualize ourselves. Whatever the state that our bodies are in, right now they have value and meaning in the sight of God. Now, in the midst of all these warm fuzzies, our passage actually ends with some urgency and some gravity. It ends with a verse that's actually really challenging to unpack and the source of considerable debate even among followers of Jesus. But I think you're up for the challenge and you can live with the dissonance. Look at verses 9 and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We've already been encouraged that we can please the Lord, so to speak, as we sojourn in this world in our earthly tents. It's very encouraging. But there's another layer of motivation here. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive what is due for what we've done in our bodies, whether good or evil. Oh boy. That sounds like getting a grade on an exam that we don't feel very good about. And depending on how you read this, it might even feel meritorious. It might feel like our salvation is, is on the line. And if that's the case, the, the confidence that we've been talking about is circling the drain now. Here's the thing. There isn't any space in this letter or in the rest of Paul's letters or anywhere else in Scripture, there isn't space anywhere for meritorious salvation. And in fact, the climax of Scripture is essentially Jesus meriting salvation on behalf of those who put their hope in him on behalf of folks who could never merit salvation on their own. That's, where, that's basically where the whole of Scripture is going. And as we've already seen in this letter, our, our faithfulness to God and really our, our usefulness to God is founded upon the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and unites us with Jesus Christ. That's why you read, for example, in Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. Ultimately, our, our fruitfulness is Spirit-driven. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about something in line with what he is previously communicated, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. The things we do in our bodies don't save us. This is not a, a word about destiny. But those things will be evaluated, and somehow we will be rewarded or not for the things we do to please the Lord. How will we be rewarded? Hard to say, honestly. I think a lot of work in that area is, is rather speculative. But we can be sure that our earthly energy expended toward pleasing the Lord matters. That's the least we can say about this verse. And if the Spirit truly does live in us, it makes sense that the shape of our lives would reflect this kind of spiritual vitality. And it makes sense that if pleasing the Lord is of no interest to us at all, at some point we need to ask the hard questions. Is the Spirit of God really living in us? 
have we really put our hope in Jesus Christ? And if you do read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, and I hope you'll do that. I'm not for the sake of time this morning, but if you do read that passage, Paul suggests even another question. He's basically asking, what, beyond, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Ashes of, of a meaningless life that are burned to the ground by the fires of eternal judgment or meaningful lives that bear fruit that endures far beyond our death. So there's some real dissonance here in this verse, some real intrigue, even discomfort. But as we end, I want to end on a more restful note. I want to circle back and remember this, church. We can live lives of meaning and significance, even in these earthly tents, by the power of the Spirit. All of us, no matter the state of our earthly tents, Christianity is more positive in that sense about our bodies than any other worldview. All of us, not just the famous people, not just the celebrities, all of us. I'll end with this. I have a feeling, it's kind of a song that, anyway, I have a feeling that people, the people that our society generally pays no attention to, the people that we brush aside as being insignificant and incapable, I have a feeling that those people are probably living the most significant lives, especially in God's eyes. Amen. One of the things I alluded to earlier in our message this morning is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man became incarnate, fully God, fully man, and ultimately did what? He broke his physical body and shed his physical blood for us. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, and during that meal he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, This cup is the new covenant, and my blood do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord to death until he comes again, because he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. He ascended into the very presence of the Father, where, by the way, he retains a fully human body, and he is coming back. And when he comes back, he will raise us, the people of God, the children of God, into these new resurrection bodies that will swallow up the mortal, as Paul talks about. So be encouraged, be so hopeful as you come and take this meal this morning. Remember these things with great joy. I'm going to pray for us, and after I do that, you're dismissed to approach the communion table uh, there will be an elder or a deacon on either side of this table. 
As I mentioned last week, we made a couple of tweaks. Um, now, the elder or deacon is going to have a, a bowl with some uh, wafers in it that they will hand you. I'll just say it one more time, gluten-free, so no excuses. Gluten-free wafers, and then they will put, you can't really see them if you're in the back, but we have baskets of communion um, kind of little cups. So you'll, you'll take a wafer from the elder deacon, and you'll come over here, here. It'll make sense, and you just pick up a cup of juice. Then you can, you can kneel and pray up here if you want. You can go back to your seat and eat and drink however you want to do it. It's up to you. And come as you're ready. There'll be more music. Eventually, we'll sing responsively together. So that's how it will work. And then at the end of the communion service, um, either the elder or the deacon who served the meal will be over near that door and that door if you want to come approach them for prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for followers of Jesus to come um, and remember and be hopeful in light of a very physical act, your son breaking his body and shedding his blood. Uh, a breaking and a shedding that we actually deserved. That we might be declared righteous in the sight of God. Be reconciled to be with him. Lord, you pray that we would be nourished and encouraged, that you would convict us concerning our sin, that we might confess it and repent of it. Pray for those who are here that uh, aren't following Jesus necessarily, that are investigating Christ. Maybe they're just here with a friend who, who wouldn't necessarily participate in this meal because they don't believe in And I pray for them, Father, that you would help them reflect well on this message and that your spirit would move in them and that they might walk in newness of life and put their hope in Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Abel, please stand and continue worshiping with us.
It's been great being with you this morning. A couple of reminders, baptism, 1 o'clock, address in your bulletin. We would love to see you there to celebrate. Uh, number two, homeless outreach at 1. If you want to be trained, come early at 1240. That'd be fantastic. Um, other than that, hear this benediction, then we'll sing the doxology together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.